Last week we started a, a series on stewardship. And uh, we called it a few different things, but stewardship is, is a good word. Not used all that often these days, but it's just really it's this mad idea that God had that he would put place us as his followers in place of authority over his creation. And who'd have believed it? But that's what he did. And so we've started on this journey of realizing that God has actually given us authority and responsibility. And we talked about the idea that uh, the sin of envy was a good candidate for original sin. Uh, although after the service, I did get a few people coming up with alternatives. So that might be a good thing to discuss at dinner parties this week. Um, I'd come, but I, I have to go somewhere else. So don't be envious because um, I'm going to Fiji. Um, and we, we also discovered that to avoid envy tripping us up in our efforts to be good stewards, we have to recognize that we have to trust God with the provision to actually fulfill the stewardship that he's given us. And funnily enough, Pentecost Sunday, I think, is a great day to celebrate that because today is the day where stewardship actually focused in from being a broadly community activity that relied on the presence of, of specialists like priests and kings to actually bring an anointing to the community, to a place where every single person was invested with the possibility of hosting the Holy Spirit so that we could all be individually accountable. Now, that made some people very uncomfortable. But we've actually got a power, and I love what Kirsty said earlier, the whole idea of community actually comes from the Holy Spirit inside every single one of us. It's not, it's not an opportunity for us to close ourselves off and say, well, I've got God, he's in me, <laughs> you can't have him. No, everybody's got him. Sorry, I've been watching too many Viva La Dirt League um, videos on Facebook. Um, and if you haven't read them, it's probably not your thing. Um, but it's also interesting that stewardship isn't easy to do. And we, all we have to do is read God's stories in, in the Old Testament about his provision to people that we hold up as paragons of faith. Uh, Abraham is a great example because he, he is the father of our faith. All, all through the New Testament, he's talked about as being the person to look up to if you want to see somebody who is a faithful person. And that, that seems to be borne out if we read in, in the book of Genesis. God promises Abraham a son. Now, Abraham is getting close to 100 here in years. But in Genesis 15, 4, it says, The Lord said to him, because he's complaining to God about the fact that he had no heirs and therefore his fortune was going to go to his servant, Eliezer. And he says, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Isn't that a great story? And that's what we hold on to. But if we keep reading Genesis, we, we, we suddenly find that in Chapter 17, God comes to Abram and reinforces this idea of this agreement that he's made with him. And it says, Abraham, in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought? And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? All reasonable objections. But he, he, he's doing this, he's bowing down before God thinking, 
big does this person think he is? Oh, God, obviously. But even he is doubting God's ability. So we've got to make sure that if we're going to stay in faith, an essential aspect of trusting God is having the certainty that God can move to achieve his promises no matter what the circumstances look like. And the other thing is, I don't know about you, but who feels that often you, you can do things yourself without asking for help? Especially from other people, because they're all incompetent, other people. Did you know that? And the trouble is that that seeps into our faith with God. And we often think, well, God, because, you know, he created us in his image. Perhaps he's incompetent too. Perhaps I should do this in my strength and ignore what God has said. I mean, I, I like the idea, but let's let's do things in our own strength. And who knows that that is probably not the best idea and often throws a huge spanner into the works. Um, because although trust isn't a passive acceptance of, God good, of God's goodness and provision, in fact, we're commanded to appropriate God's promises, but we're also cautioned against doing things in our own strength strength, which is something that Abraham and Sarah were also guilty of doing. Genesis 16 verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. You sort of think, this, is, this, is, this gets into scheming. God's promised me a son, but my wife's not going to be having babies. So perhaps he meant for me to have sex with a servant girl. Sounds like a typical male thought pattern. But it's interesting that the consequences of that decision resulted in the poisoning of the relationship between Sarah and her servant. And interestingly, although Hagar's son Ishmael was born out of a wrong motivation and a lack of trust in God's ability to provide what he'd promised and in the manner that he had promised, God still made a commitment to bless Ishmael and all his descendants. So even stuff-ups can be blessed by God. Who's happy about that? Amen. And it's interesting that Doing things in our own strength can often have unintended consequences, but it still doesn't stop God using those unintended consequences for good. So we, we don't despair if we stuff up. Just remember not to do it again. The third aspect of good stewardship is not leaving it all to God and hoping for the best. Now, if, interestingly enough, this is, this is typified by a story in the New Testament of the crippled man lying by the pool of Bethesda in John's gospel. In John 5, 5, it says, One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? That's interesting. He didn't say, Would you like me to help you to the pool? He said, Basically, what are you doing here? Do you like it here or something? Or are you really trying to get healed? And guess, and guess what the guy say, he says? He says, Ah, oh, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Life is so tough. I can't do it. And you might think, well, that's a bit cruel. He's crippled after all. 
But what Jesus has actually discerned is this person's heart. He, he actually enjoys the lifestyle of lying by the pool and watching people go past and seeing the miracles happen. But sort of, if it happens to him, guess what? He has to leave. He has to get out and do stuff and be productive. And Jesus has rightly ascertained that this guy doesn't particularly want that. And so he asked him, do you want to be healed? And so after questioning his commitment, he was met by the excuses that he expected. And so he took action and healed the man. And if you read what he told the man to do and what the man actually did, you realize that he probably wasn't actually all that happy about what Jesus had done for him. So we're faced with this idea of being good stewards without a rule book. Because God doesn't actually put rules in place to keep us in line, but he gives us a series of choices to make. Don't you hate that? We have the choice to stand firm in our faith in the goodness of God or not. We have the choice to be resolute in our refusal to do it in our own strength or not. And we have to assume that we have a part to play and that God will give us what we need for that part. I want to leave you this morning with this lesson, this example from Mark's gospel, where Jesus leads his disciples in a lesson on how to feed 5,000 people. You might think, well, that was just a miracle. No, Jesus taught his disciples something in here because they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's 5,000 men and probably extra women and children along with it. And the disciples come to Jesus. So you and I, it's like you and I, we come to God and, and we give God orders. Jesus, send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Because suddenly the disciples have assumed what God is going to do. They've thought, well, this is the obvious thing. Let's go and tell Jesus what he should do because he's the Messiah and we, he probably needs direction from us because he, he's not doing so well because he's led about here in the wilderness. I mean, what on earth was he thinking? And so then you've got Jesus who turns around and says, you feed them, which of course takes them somewhat aback. Who's down with that? Oh, yep, I, I can do that. No worries. So God tells them what to do. But of course, the next question, with what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. What's that doing? They've immediately tried to solve the problem in their own strength. They've thought about what their circumstances are, what their capabilities are. And so Jesus' answer to that is to ask a question. He says, how much bread do you have? And then, then he has to say, go and find out. Because we don't know how much bread we've got. Why, why is he asking you? He says, go and find out. And so they go and find out. They came back and they reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. So that's what they've got in their hand. So, who here has ever faced an enormous obstacle and looked in their hand and thought, what am I going to do with this? Because that, that's what they were thinking. They didn't come back and say, oh, look, we've got five loaves and two fish. It's like, come on, five loaves, two fish. Now what are you going to do? And so Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, looked towards heaven and blessed them. 
Here we've got an example. If God's asked you to do something, first of all, get organized. Then pray. And then do what he's asked you to do. It says, then uh, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. See, this is our part. This is what we can do. God has given us instruction. He's told us what is in our hand. And so we just do what God has instructed us to do, believing and trusting that God will do the rest. That I know that our life isn't as simple as handing out bread and fish to people and expecting there to be a, an infinite supply. I know that the, the, the things that we face, the problems that we look at can be infinitely more complex than that. And it's hard to trust God and it's hard to believe in his provision. But the example is there that we, if we do our part, God will come through with his part. It's interesting. He says he also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. God's got you. You're not unsafe. You're not left out in the cold. It's interesting. None of these examples that I've given you this morning has got anybody in it who does it all right. I mean, that, that, that last song, we talked about the fact that even though we've stuffed up, God still wants to be our friend. This is, this is the message, I think, of, of hope that we can, we can get from reading how God interacts with these people in, in the Bible stories. People lose faith. People do it themselves. People get ahead of God. People are swayed by circumstances. All sorts of stuff-ups occur, and people just plain get it wrong. Does that sound like any of us? If you're honest, I think it might, because I think we've all been there. But stewardship is not actually about getting it right. It's actually trusting that God has given us what we need to do what he has called us to do. And he hasn't called us all to do exactly the same thing. And so how do we, how do we turn this into, what are, what are you going to do tomorrow? How are you going to face life during the week? How are you going to approach the problems that are going to face you in the weeks to come, years to come? How are you going to tackle life in general? And I think, you know, the key above all, I think, is not to lose hope. But I think also take heed of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. In verse 7, he says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It's interesting that when it comes down to all the spiritual gifts that we might have, the physical gifts that we might have, emotional, mental, whatever the gifts that are in us, it's interesting that the thing that God asks us to do above all of that is to persevere. Sometimes it's not what you've got, it's what you've grit that you need to do. And so we need to be good stewards of what God has given us to do 
not what other people do. I know we've got our heroes in the faith and that there's people that we look to that we'd like to be like. But God's only made one person on this earth like you. Don't waste it. So let's be good stewards. Let's do what God has asked us to do. Let's, let's just live in that hope that no matter what the world looks like, God has promised us, ask, knock, seek, and he will give us what we find.